So. Okay. It's a balmy summer's day. What? It seriously was. It is never that warm in Canberra. It was 28 degrees. Okay, that's balmy. 10% chance of rain. 10%. So it's a little humid, so more sultry than balmy. Okay. Um, and it was four o'clock in the afternoon, mm-hmm. and Australia had just gone to war. Scary. Here we go. ASIO is at war, and I'm right in the middle of it. In the thick of it. In the thick of war. Let's talk about what ASIO does when we go to war. All right, let's do it. You're listening to I Spy, the badly thought-out invasion of Australian intelligence. My God, they're coming in from the behind. Did anyone shut the back door? Hello and welcome to I Spied. My name's Michelle Stevenson. I'm here with David Callan and today we're going to unpack the Gulf War. There's a lot to get into. Here. Now, before we go into Gulf War, we're talking Gulf War 1. We're okay. talking about yes. the prequel as opposed to the sequel. And like the sequel, the prequel and the sequel actually are quite intertwined and yes. like the results are quite surprising. A lot more surprising than you'd think. Like who won the Gulf War yes. is a very interesting question that we can get to later. But right now, um, so four o'clock on the 17th of January, 1991, wow. Desert Storm began. Now that's four o'clock Australian time. This is Bush One? This is Bush One. Yep. Right. I remember walking into the vault because I was working in one of the smaller vaults. I was in mm-hmm. Classifier. So I walked into this small vault going, guys, it's on. Yep. It's on. He hasn't withdrawn. And that was the thing. If you don't withdraw by midnight on the 16th of January, yep. which is 17th of January our time, if you have not withdrawn by this time, we will come in and get you. And Saddam Hussein had sat there going, come and get me, which was a really stupid idea for Saddam. So what happened was I remember walking into the office and going, it's on. It's on. It's happening. And one of the people in the office turned around and said, you're a bit sick in the head, mate. You're you're actually excited about this. To which I went, this is what we train for. Yeah. This is literally what we're here for is to deal with this crisis. Now, the interesting thing was what happened at ASIO at that moment? What happened? Very little. Nothing. Not a lot. Um, Very little happened simply because we weren't actually involved in the war part. Right. That was well, I didn't expect that you would no, be. That was happening over there yeah, yeah, yeah. on the other side of the planet. You weren't You weren't with guns no, blazing into no, the desert. No, no, none of that. No. I, was, I was not leaping over a berm wearing a mop suit or anything. No, I was, you were just taking papers and filing them. I was wearing shorts. Okay, because um, it was balmy. <laughs> it was balmy. It was a sultry day. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you want, a bit of, you want a bit of ventilation. So what happened was... <laughs> What happened with ASIO is we suddenly go full on Mm. to looking at what's going on in the local Iraqi community. Right. That's the really important thing for ASIO to do is like, because also because Saddam Hussein had gone, it's the mother of all battles. I call all Iraqis around the world and Arabs to to take arms. Yeah, yeah. To take up arms and fight these oppressors, to which most of the Arabs around the world were like going, fuck you. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just sit down and shut up. (laughs) Right. You've made a mess of this. Let's move on. I mean, Saddam Hussein didn't have a lot of friends. Well, this was the thing. His whole plan was to get friends by doing this. Okay. Right. He invaded Kuwait mainly because. Because he was so broke after the Iran-Iraq war, this is a guy who had a massive military. He had some of the most sophisticated technology you could buy. He was buying Exocet missiles off the French. He was buying tanks off the Russians. He was buying weapons. And and everyone was selling to him. And everyone loved Saddam when he was invading Iran because no one liked Iran. But the thing is, Iran had like two biplanes and a stick. And that was pretty much their entire armory. (laughs) And they still kicked his ass. 
And why is that? Well, it's because they did a pretty mean thing. They just pushed people over the border into Iraq, into the literally into the guns. Right. They just sent wave upon wave upon wave of military, and it turned out a lot of it were very young men, mm. like homeless kids picked up off the streets, put in a uniform and chucked out the back of a truck and said, run that way or we'll shoot you. So it was not pleasant. No. Now, but, and also it's interesting, this comes back to haunt Saddam in the end. So what happened was he'd lost this war. Yep. He'd lost territory. He like he kept suing for peace because he was losing money massively. And the Iranians went, no, no, we're going to just keep kicking your ass. We got people to burn, yep. literally. Literally. just going to send them over the border. There was chemical weapons involved. While this was going on, Saddam was also using chemical weapons against the Kurds in the north because he thought, oh, that's a great way to get rid of them as mm. well. So, right, it was all going pear-shaped. He's broke. He's got no money. He's got a massive military that's got nothing to do. And pretty much everyone in his government, even though they're all related to him, were like going, we really need to downscale this military. Mm. And he was going to basically pump all of these men into an economy that couldn't support them. Right. What am I going to do? Hmm. Kuwait's overproducing oil. And I yeah. will call it the ninth province of Iraq and invade it. So he did. He took it over, rocked, rolled in there, and then his big plan was, I'm going to basically make it so impossible for you guys to take it back. So he built up all of these defences along the Kuwait-Saudi Arabia border mm-hmm. and then with fire pits and tons of men and tons of mines and tons of crazy, all built up to the border, along the border of Kuwait and Saudi Arabia. That's it. That's all he did. And didn't he set like some of the oil refineries on fire? Oh, that came later. Right. So anyway, he set this whole thing up. And of course, the Americans being, well, sorry, the coalition, call that the Americans and the Saudi army with a few other people. Like our contribution, we contributed three ships, five aircraft. That was two helicopters on two of the ships and one helicopter on one of the ships Mm -hmm. and two surgical teams that went on to the U.S. NS Comfort, which was the hospital ship. So we didn't really have a lot of boots on the ground. We didn't have boots. Oh, I'm sorry. And Navy clearance divers. They are very important. Yes. They're kind of like the SAS, but in water. Wow. So, yeah, they were important as well. So we had guys on the ground, but Mm -hmm. not a lot of them. Yep. And essentially what the Americans did on the 17th was they just sent wave after wave of planes over Iraq. Because they wanted the oil back. And Well, that was the big thing. Yes. See, suddenly no one can get oil. Yeah, exactly. And 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 then it stops the world. We really like oil. Yeah. And America really, really... Really likes oil. Really, really likes so oil. So they were like that was the big thing. They had a the UN put an embargo on Iraq. Right. So yep. nothing's going in, nothing's going out. Yep. Hope, not- hoping to smoke them out, so to speak. Well, if we them. if we if we don't let them have access to anything, yeah. hopefully they'll give it up. They'll give it up. And the thing is, Saddam said he wouldn't. Saddam was not the smartest no, he's crazy. tool in the shed. He was absolutely crazy. He was a he was the worst of the dictators. Yeah. So he's you know, he's calling on all of the, the Arab world to rise up. And wherever you are, rise up. Well, what is Asia gonna do? Well, we better go and talk to the Arab world. Yeah. Well, at least the Arab world in our backyard. This is really important, and it's a very clever way they do it. They do what are called cold starts. Right. What's they that? Just... Oh, cold calling. Hello, where is you? Can we have a chat? <laughs> Literally. Two people would walk up to your front door, knock on your door, show them your friend. To all the Arabs? Well, not all the Arabs. <laughs> no, well, like but, how do they choose what Arabs to talk to? Well, you'd look at the Arab community in itself. Yes. So you'd look at the Iraqi community. Yes. Who's, who, you know, we'd know if- Okay, you know, who are the leaders? Who, who are the le- Let's talk to the leaders first, yeah. right? So let's go and talk to the talk, imam in the mosque. Yes. Let's go and talk to the head of the Iraqi community groups. Yep. Let's talk to all of these guys and then say, is there anyone else we should talk to? Yeah. And they would go, oh, you might want to talk to Brad over there because- well, you know, Brad, that's that's my way. Everyone's Brad to me. Yep. Go and talk to Mo over there. He's probably the right guy to talk to because he might know a couple of guys because he's 
interesting creative yeah. mix. So you go and talk to Mo. Now, the thing with the Arabs, are, and this is really good, I love this about the Arab community, is they're incredibly hospitable. They've got this really great ethic of hospitality. If you invite someone in, you've got to feed them. Yeah. You have to. It's, it's great. It's the rules. And it's like, guys, people were putting on weight at us. <laughs> people were getting tubby because it's yeah. like you'd walk up and do an hour-long interview and then there's just this Coffee, dates, dates, hummus. falafels, yeah, and, you know, baklava, things. all of this wonderful food would yeah. come out and you'd eat it because you have to eat it. If you don't eat it, it's an insult to the host. Yeah. And the thing is, so you start eating, but so you do four of these interviews in a day, you're going to get a bit tubby by the end. You're literally, oh, just nothing. I don't want anything for dinner. So it was that was really busy. And the thing is, it was phenomenally busy because mm. not only were our guys going out doing these cold starts, they still had their normal duties to follow as well. Right. They still had cases that were running. They still had stuff that they had to do. So it's a very busy time. Some people put in phenomenal amounts of overtime. Mm. And it, it actually caused a bit of a crisis in the organisation when – a few people turned around. Well, let's be honest. All the intelligence officers that were going out there and doing these interviews finally turned around and said, in the last month, I've done 600 hours worth of overtime and I'm not getting paid for it. Wow. And that became a bit of an issue in the organisation. It would. So there's all of this going on. And the interesting thing about it was the number of times you'd walk in and there might be a photo of Saddam Hussein on the wall mm-hmm. uh, and there might be a photo of the Ayatollah Khomeini on the wall. Because it's also, we talked to the Iranian community as well because it's like, well, you're Arabs. The Iranian community basically looked at it, looked at every ASIO officer and went, you're kidding, we hate the guy. We really hate him. But interestingly enough, when you walked into a house and there was a photo of Saddam on mm. the wall, you'd say, well, you're going to do this. And they go, you are kidding. We left there to get away from this stuff. But why would they have the photo on the wall? In case somebody who was uh, right, right, right. very uh, zealot okay. yep. would walk into their house and go, why don't you have a photo of Saddam on the wall? Now, interestingly enough, even those zealots were like, yeah, yeah look, I really support him, but I'm not going to do anything. No, exactly. One guy did. Oh, one guy did. What did he do? (laughs) It was my favourite story. He rang the embassy. He rang the Iraqi embassy in Canberra and went, "I've got a bootload of guns and I'm coming up and you're going to give me something to do." To which the Iraqi embassy went, "No, don't do that. Please stay away from us. No, 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 no. Put the guns away. No, please. Oh crap! Right? And they literally were like, "Oh crap! What are we going to do?" They contacted the AFP and the AFP picked this guy up as he drove into Canberra and arrested him. Did he have guns? Oh yeah, he had a bootload of guns. Oh okay. It was just like. Dude, really, you're a landline. You're calling an embassy on a landline that is the antagonist in a current war. Mm. We're probably going to be listening to you. Yeah. So there was that coming up. Yep. Back in the office. Now, for us, it was flash traffic madness. There was flash traffic. So, flash traffic is, you, we've gone through this before, is the different grades of intelligence. Yep. So, we start at routine. Yeah, just get it out whenever it gets out. Mm-hmm. Then you've got priority. It needs to be there pretty quickly. Immediate, it needs to be there now. Flash, it should have been there five minutes ago. Okay. So a lot of flash traffic started coming in, mainly for the launch of Scud missiles. Now, do you remember the, the old Scuds? Mm. Scuds were great. The Scuds were the – well, they weren't. They were terrible. They were a Russian sort of portable missile. You drive a truck in the middle of the desert, fire it. Now, what they did, he fired quite a few missiles towards Riyadh. Yeah. But the other thing he did is he fired quite a few missiles towards Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. Well, not Jerusalem, Tel Aviv. He wouldn't shoot at Jerusalem. It's a holy city and that's a great way of turning everyone off. The whole idea of firing them at Tel Aviv was let's get Israel into the war. Right. If we get Israel into the war – all the Arabs will come up because we all hate Israel. Problem was, 
the Israelis went, no, nope, we're just going to sit back. We're going to let the American Patriot missile system hopefully work, which it didn't. It wasn't a great system. They're anti-missile missile. Okay. Uh, we actually had a thing at, at ASIO. Uh, it's ferret tubes. You know, yeah. those things you see in supermarkets where you slot it in, fires the change Yep, back. yep, yep. We had those. That's how we got intelligence around the building quickly. Instead they're of, really cool. Oh, they're great fun. Yeah. And the thing is, <laughs> as a joke, I put labels on all the little ferret tubes. I had Scud and, and you know, Patriot. And the thing is, every time you put a Patriot in, it didn't work. Oh, um, okay. You really had a big commitment to ASIO, didn't you? I had a lot of fun while I was there. Yeah. yeah I, I kept it's not a lot of work, really. I did that. a lot of work. That was okay. the thing. We didn't, like, you would get in there at sort of like 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning and you went right through to 7, 8 at night. Shooting things was, through yeah, the putting, system. Yeah, putting labels on ferrets. Yeah. You would work pretty solidly because there was a lot of intelligence going around and yep. all of it had to be looked at. The problem was a lot of it wasn't really relevant to us. We didn't do the military stuff. Right. Right. We had access to it mm-hmm. and we certainly read a lot of it. But when it came down to the baseline, we were more focused on the community. And that was the fascinating thing about it was how the community actually was so anti what was going on. Mm. So there's this massive amount of work that suddenly appeared that seemed to be for very little. Okay. Particularly when you get back to the bottom line of what happened was it literally went back to status quo. Like we had this whole thing that we had a war in possibly the most volatile region on the planet. Yep. And then it all went back like went back to status quo because of course Saddam built this incredible defensive region around Kuwait to hold on to it and didn't bother to defend his own border. So Yeah, it wasn't bright. That was just the way the Americans went, well, let's just go around and come in from behind. Yeah. And then there was the the highway of death as as the Iraqis were trying to get out of Kuwait, the Americans were just absolutely hosing them with all of this military from above. There was death from above quite literally. Their air force just dominated. Yeah. There was the great stories that came out, the Andy McNabb story about, you know, the SAS groups because the SAS Yes, and that was one of the interesting things was when we went into Gulf War II, mm. that was the asset they really wanted from us was the SAS. The same as in Afghanistan. There's a very famous story at the beginning of the invasion of Afghanistan after 9-11 where they show the opening of Gladiator. Okay. Where, you know, you've got all the German tribes there and you've got Russell Crowe sitting on a horse. and he's like, So they wanted Russell Crowe, really? Well, the great thing was yeah. it was like, you know, we will rain hell and, you know, the battle insists and everyone cheers and it was a lot of fun. And then it finished and the general in charge of the invasion of Afghanistan walked up and went, what does that tell us? And the Australian commander of the special forces basically turned around and said, if you want a job done, get an Australian to do it. <laughs> Which was not the reaction he wanted, but that was one of the things, like our special forces were involved, particularly clearance miners were doing yeah. a lot of work clearing like the Q80 harbour, which is, it took him about three months to finally clear all the mines out because the Australian, we suffered zero casualties. Well, that's because that. we didn't have a lot of people there. We didn't have boots on the ground. No. Right. Well, we might have had boots on the ground. It was never really clear, but it wouldn't surprise me if we had special forces mm. that were actually That we in, didn't know about it. That we didn't know about that still to this day have been covered up. Essentially, the SAS guys went in months, well, not months, but weeks before the air campaign began mm. because that was it was only a five-week war. Yeah. Well, no, eight-week war, five-week air campaign, literally three-week ground campaign, 
Game's over. Yeah, it didn't really last long. But also, he didn't really seem to have a plan. Well, he did, but the plan was a really bad one. Yeah, well, yeah, same, same. Well, the bottom line is he was expecting the Russians to back him. He was expecting the Arabs to back him. And everyone was like, no, you're a little bit volatile. I don't really want to follow you into a war. You're a fucking nutbag and yeah. no one trusted you. Yeah. And the other thing was for the Americans, it was a really important war for the Americans because mm. it was their final chance. It was the last chance because the Soviet Union had collapsed. It was their last chance to really see how their kit was going to work against Russian kit. Yeah. Because a lot of the tanks that they- Were Russian. Were Russian. And, I mean, even to this day, a lot of the stuff that we, we see is Russian. Yeah. yeah. A lot of- Well, the AKK, the, the Kalashnikov is still pretty much the perfect rifle. It's a, yeah. It's a, an incredible weapons platform. So the fact that AK-47s are being used all around the world isn't just because it's a great rifle. It's also it's really cheap to make. And it's more, it's a better rifle. It's more reliable than, say, something like an AR-15 or yeah. an M16. And it, it, it works out well on, like, deer and anything that you want to hunt if you're an American, <laughs> yeah, apparently. you're an American. It's a right to bear arms and yeah. arm bears. Yeah. Um, so the thing is, with that, it was the material support that Saddam mm. would have had if yep. the Soviet Union had come on board didn't happen. The big thing, and this is going through Gulf War One leading to Gulf War Two. Well, Bush one leading into Bush two. Bush one to Bush two. Yeah. The Bush two thing was it, it was always very strange to me where they went. Wow, you know, Al Qaeda have just destroyed the twin towers. Well, Iraq has to go. I know so, it, none uh, of it made sense, and I think no one thought it made sense. No, no, no. And and then they had of course came up with the whole thing of um, why. Well, they they came up with the weapons of mass destruction. Yeah, which and, was complete lie. Oh no, no. My favorite was watching. Colin Powell sit in front of the Security Council of the UN saying, this is all the evidence we have. And I remember there was one aerial photo of something, and I went, that looks really familiar and I don't know why. Mm. And they kept talking about how it was a mobile chemical weapons factory. And I'm going, it still looks really familiar and I don't know why, until the truth came out about the photo. It was a film set. Really? Yeah, it was a film set. And all the vans, I went, that's why it looks familiar. That's the OB van. That's the grip van. That's the makeup van. That's the wardrobe van. And I went, oh, my God, it's literally an OB. It's an outside film set. And did anyone else pick up on this? Nope. No, 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 no. That, that got revealed down the track. When it was yeah. finally revealed, it was like by then it didn't matter. They were at war. But I kept looking at that photo going, I don't know why this looks familiar. And, you know, that thing there that's meant to be uh, maybe sort of some alembic mm. or some chemical, like giant chemical yeah. processing. No, that was a, a mini jib for a, a camera. So when they went to war the second time, Bush 2, we'll call yeah. it Bush 2. Bush 2. How did that affect Asia? Well, how that, would that have affected because Asia? Because that one would have been a war that you couldn't really justify. So I would imagine there'd be a little bit of blowback on that one. Well, the big blowback was came from Andrew Wilkie, right? Because yep. he was the guy who was ONA. Now, ONA actually shared the building with ASIO at the time. I was not there. By that time, it was over. Mm. Uh, my career was long over then. But the whole thing with that was it would have been pretty much the same for ASIO that time, the second time around as was the first. Yep. Let's keep an eye on the community. Yep. Right, that is our most important thing. The other thing that would have been really, really big in ADCO's radar, far more than during Bush 1, was terrorism. This was a, a war based on a terrorist incident. Yeah. So the invasion of Afghanistan and the invasion of Iraq were basically, they came out of 9-11. So... ASIO would have been incredibly focused on the terrorist aspect of that 100%. simply because as well as Iraq being invaded and the whole, again, he, I think he called for a fatwa, there was probably more likelihood you'd get one. Yeah, exactly. Simply because where the Kuwaiti invasion was 
that was a justifiable war, for want of a better phrase. You know, as, as justifiable as wars go, they invaded a sovereign territory that was under the auspices of, you know, under the protection of the UN, yep. and the UN said no, and he went, no, well, I'm going to stay. And yes. We've got to kick you out. The second one was based on false intelligence. Yeah, and, and 9-11 really kind of changed the landscape for how we fight wars and how wars are fought with us. Very much so. Like, I mean- the thing about Bush One was that was a really easy war to win, oh, essentially, really easy. because they just literally went in with aircraft and went yeah. and flattened the place. The second one was pretty much the same. And the other thing was they went in, they kicked him out of Kuwait. Everyone said, why didn't you get rid of Saddam then? The whole reason was the UN did not give the coalition permission. But then sometimes it's a better the devil you know because they get rid of Saddam Hussein and – it well, hasn't flourished. Have a look at what's happened since. Yeah. Right now, out of both these Gulf Wars, who is the big winner? Uh, not America, that's for no, sure. No, America has lost $3 trillion in treasure. And people. 32,000 casualties and about 4,500 dead. Yeah, there's no winners here. There is. China. No. Russia. No. I just keep naming. <laughs> yeah, you keep naming countries. But it's really interesting because people forget and it's a country that, you know, it's- Saudi Arabia. No. I don't know. Iran. No, I didn't think that would be, but like who? Iran. Iran. Iran has come out of this absolutely golden. Yeah. Right, one, and this is a really important thing, Iraq was the great counter to Iran. Yep. Right, and we needed it. We needed someone there to count because Iran is an exception. Kind of like the yin to the yang. It's the yin to the yang. And, you know, as you said, better the devil you know. And unfortunately, he was a absolutely – the only devil I think was worse were his sons yeah. who were crazy. They yeah. were, those two were nuts. Well, it's a lot of inbreeding, I would that imagine. Was, I think one of them was shot driving a truck full of cash. As a friend of mine said, there you go, Class C licence is always handy. Right. Um, <laughs> so – they were nuts. They were. Mm. It was a very strange family, which most despotic families are. Yeah. weird. But the thing is, the when, when when you bond over murder and yeah. murdering large groups of your population, then mm. you, you know you you're going to be a bit weird. Yeah. Now Iran have come away with this one. Their army is in much better shape than it ever was before. Yep. And also, the, the first thing Saddam said when the Gulf War started was fly all of our aircraft assets to Iran and land them. Which they did. They flew everything they owned, all mm. of these beautiful Mirage jet fighters and all that stuff. They flew it all over to Iran, to which Iran went, cheers. Thanks, man. Oh, great. You've just delivered us just all delivered of this us. stuff. We just got an Air Force, guys. Check it out. <laughs> right? So there was that. And also, he was meant to be repatriating the Iranians anyway. So the Iranians were like, going, in lieu of the fact that you haven't paid off the repatriation for the Iran-Iraq war, we're going to keep these. So one, they wind up with an Air Force. Two... Everyone's focused on Iraq. Yep. So they've got their nuclear program going and it's still going. Yeah. They're, they're still pushing that along. And we've we've had all of the nuclear sanctions and the agreements and the de- non-development mm. and non-proliferation treaties and all that sort of stuff. But the one thing they got is they got influence in Syria, Bahrain. They've absolutely messed up Saudi Arabia with Yemen. Their influence has spread throughout mm. the, the Middle East. And the thing is, they are now the preeminent power in the Middle East. Saudi Arabia are not happy about this. Now, Saudi Arabia, pound for pound, have a better army and better weapons than the Iranians. The Iranians have got one thing with them, which is time and patience. Yeah. And they've got pretty much as much oil as the Saudis. So, yes, the Saudis have America on their side, but you do not want to get into a land war in Asia, and America did, and it has cost them dearly. Yeah. Now, well, 
It's cost them more than just monetary. Well, monetary, treasure, like esteem, it's everything. It's gutted them. And I mean, the interesting thing is we're now looking at there's all of this talk of a war in, in China. The, the whole idea of China wants to go to war. The one country that really does not want this at the moment is America. At the moment, their, their president is becoming very insular. He's like, Biden is not where Donald Trump was very much like America first mm. and, you know, he, doing it as a rousing speech. Biden is literally like, can we clean up the mess? Like, we'll clean up our mess first before we start concentrating it's, on anybody yeah. else's. And it's kind of what Clinton did too. Clinton yeah. kind of did less focus outward and more focus inward. Well. He still managed to keep the no-fly zone going for a long time over the north, and, and that actually that was one of the things that held oh, oh, Iraq Clinton, in check. Clinton was didn't do any great things <laughs> in Yugoslavia. In, what went on? What he did in Yugoslavia as well was not good either. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, and also Barack Obama. Like everyone likes to hold this man up to like he's the Holy Grail, and you know there are a lot of great things that he did, but also he messed up big as well. Well, he used more drones than any other president. Yeah, and the other thing that most people don't realize is, despite the fact that he stood in Czechoslovakia saying we must get rid of nuclear weapons, mm. he was also the president that spent one trillion dollars refreshing their nuclear arsenal. Yeah. So the fact is the Gulf War, which started back on that sultry summer day in 1991. <laughs> I'm sure it was sultry summer day in Iraq as well. Yeah, and can I tell you, I've still got the shorts. Really? Oh, yeah, got you. They were a really good pair of shorts. They're really solid. They're like heavy-duty <laughs> sort of like cargo pants. Um, Every time you wear them, you're like, I am ready for war. <laughs> well, they are camouflage as well. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'm sorry. Right, the bottom line is this. When Asia, when it go, when the world goes to war, ASIO really, really has to go to work at home. And you have to dig out those shorts. I dig out the shorts and stand there, salute my, my fellow workers and then probably sit down and have a beer. <laughs> that sounds more like it. 